Chapter Eighteen of An Outback Marriage by Andrew Barton Patterson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Arrowhead Aussie. Chapter Eighteen: The Wild Cattle. Carew awoke next morning to find that it was broad daylight, and the horses had been run in, caught, and saddled, all ready for a start to the run. Breakfast was soon disposed of, and the cavalcade set out. Naturally, the old man had heaps of questions to ask about his inheritance, and made the Englishman ride alongside while he questioned him. "'If I go to England after this money, mister, I suppose they won't be handing me out ten years for perjury, same as they done for Roger Titchbourne, eh? I won't have no law case, will I? Shouldn't think so. You've been advertised for all over the place, I believe.' "'Ha! Well, now they've got me. They mightn't like me, don't you see?' I never took no stock in them unclaimed money fakes. I never see any money goin' beggin' yet, long as I've lived, but what some chap had his hands on it quick enough. But I suppose it's all right. It's me wife I'm troublin' about. I'm no dandy. Goodness knows, but if people let me alone, I'll let them alone, and I don't interfere with anyone. But if old Peg turns up, she'll want to be right in front of the procession. If she follows me, I'll realise everything by public auction, unreserved sale, for spot cash and I'll sneak back here to a place I knows of, where there's no trooper can find me. I ain't goin' ours with that woman, I tell you. She wouldn't stick to me if I was poor, and I ain't goin' to take her up again now. You'd better come back with me, mister, and show me the way round a bit. There's a mob of cattle, Gordon, he went on, changing the subject quickly. Let's ride up here while the boys bring him into camp. And off they went at a canter, leaving the question of his social prospects in abeyance for the time being. The ceremony of taking delivery lasted some days. Considine's signature to the deed of transfer being only the first step. This long document prepared in Sydney kept them going in literature for about a week, and they were delighted to find that, through the carelessness of a clerk, in one part of the deed there figured one bull of mixed sexes and various ages. They rode out day after day through interminable stretches of dull-timbered country, or over blazing plains, waving with long grass. Here they came on mobs of half-wild cattle, all bearing the same brand, a huge RL5. These were not mustered into a yard or counted, except roughly. Gordon was not completing a purchase, but simply taking over what were there, many or few, good or bad. He could only take what he found. Miles and miles they rode, always in the blazing heat, camping for a couple of hours in the middle of the day. To the Englishman it seemed always the merest chance that they found the cattle, and accident that they got home again. At rare intervals they came upon substantial mustering yards, where the calves were brought for branding. Near these a rough hut had been constructed, so that they could camp there at night instead of returning to the head station. They always slept out of doors. In the intense heat it was no hardship, and the huts, as a rule, fairly jumped with fleas. Once they camped alongside a big lagoon, on whose surface were huge pink and blue water lilies and rushes, and vast flocks of wild fowl. After the stretches of blazing plain and dull timber, this glimpse of water was inexpressibly refreshing. On their way back they struck new country, great stretches of almost impenetrable scrub, tropical jungle and belts of bamboo. In this cover wild cattle evidently abounded, for they frequently heard the bellow of the bulls. "'There should be a terrible lot of wild cattle here,' said Charlie. "'Don't you ever get any out of the scrubs?' "'Oh, yeah. We moonlight for em, said Considine. "'We take coaches out. We have a very fair coaching mob. Some of our coaches are as quick as a racehorse, and they'll hustle the wild cattle away from the scrub, just as if they understood. What do you mean by coaches? asked Carew. 
Not cattle that go in carts, eh? Carts? No. The way we get wild cattle hereabouts is to take out a mob of quiet cattle, what we call coaches, and let em feed in the moonlight alongside the scrub, while we wait back out on the road and watch em. When the wild cattle come out, they run over to see the coaches, and we dash up and cut them off from the scrub, and hustle them together into the open. It's good sport, mister. We might try a dash at it, if you like, before we go back. It's moonlight now. Let's have a try tonight, said Gordon. Are your coaches handy? Yes, they feed near the house. I'll send them on with the gins tonight. When they got back that evening, Carew was so dead tired that he wished the wild cattle expedition at Jericho. But Considine and Charlie were in great form, directing, arguing, and planning the expedition. One of the black boys rode out and returned driving a big mob of horses that dashed into the yard at full gallop. The gins and the black boys caught fresh mounts out of these and started away, driving some fifty head of cattle selected from a mob that made their headquarters within a few miles of the house. Most of them were old stages and strung away in the evening quite tranquilly, while the blacks, always smoking, rode listlessly after. Considine produced stock whips and gave one to Charlie. "'No good giving you one, mister,' he said to Carew. "'You'd hang yourself with it, most likely. I've got a rare good horse for you, old smoked beef. He'd moonlight cattle by himself, I believe. You'd better have a pistol, though.' "'What for?' asked Carew as Considine produced three very heavy navy revolvers and a bag of cartridges, to shoot any beast that won't stay with the mob. Some of them won't be stopped. They have to go. Well, if one goes, the rest will keep trying to follow, and no forty men will hold them. You just keep your eyes open, and if a beast breaks out in spite of the whips, you shoot him if the blacks tell you, see? Where am I to shoot him? Shoot him any place, in the ear hole or the shoulder or the ribs or the flank, any place at all. Shoot him all over if you like. One or two bullets don't hurt a beast. It takes a lead mine to kill some of them. Do the blacks shoot? asked Charlie. Nah, I don't never trust no blacks with firearms. One boy knifes well, though, races alongside and knifes him. This seemed a fairly difficult performance. While the Englishman was wondering how it would be carried out, they made a start. They rode mile after mile in the yellow moonlight until they discerned a mob of cattle feeding placidly near some big scrub. They whistled to the blacks, and all rode away downwind to a spot on the edge of the plain, a considerable distance from the cattle. Here they dismounted and waited, Considine and Charlie talking occasionally in low voices while the blacks sat silent, holding their horses. Carew lay down on the long dry grass and gazed away over the plain. His horse stood over him with head down, apparently sleeping. Far away under the moon, in vague patches of light and shade, the cattle were feeding, Hours seemed to pass, and Carew almost fell asleep. Suddenly a long-drawn bellow, the angry challenge of a bull, broke the silence. A mob of wild cattle were evidently coming along the edge of the scrub, and had caught scent of the strangers. Again the bull roared. There is no animal on earth with so emphatically warlike a note as the wild bull when advancing to meet a strange mob. The quiet cattle answered with plaintive long-drawn lowings, and the din became general as the two lots met. Let him get well mixed up, said Considine, quietly tightening his girths and swinging into the saddle. Everyone followed his example. Carew was shaking with excitement. Angry bellowing now arose from the cattle, which were apparently horning one another, such being their manner of greeting. Considine said, There's a big lot there. Hope to blazes we can hold em. Are you ready, mister? Yes, I'm ready, replied Carew. Come on, then. We'll sneak up slowly at first, but once I start galloping... Let your horse go as fast as he likes, and trust him altogether. 
Don't pull him at all, or he'll break your neck. They started slowly in Indian file, keeping well in the shadow of the scrub. The horses picked their way through the outlying saplings and bushes, until suddenly Considine bent forward on his horse's neck and said, Come on! What a ride that was! The inexperienced reader is apt to imagine that because a plain is level, it is smooth, but no greater fallacy exists. The surface of a plain is always bad galloping. The rain washes away the soil from between the tussocks which stand up like miniature mountains. The heat cracks the ground till it opens in crevices, sometimes a foot wide and a yard or two deep. Fallen saplings lie hidden in the shadows to trip the horse, while the stump stands up to cripple him. And over all is the long grass hiding all perils and making the horse risk his own neck and his master's at every stride. They flew along in the moonlight, Considine leading, Charlie next, then the two black boys, and then Carew, with a black gin on each side of him, racing in grim silence. The horses blundered and peaked, stumbled, picked themselves up again, always seeming to have a leg to spare. Now and again a stump or a gaping crack in the ground would flash into view under their very nose, but they cleared everything. Stumps, tussocks, gaps, and saplings. In less time than it takes to write, they were between the mob and the scrub. At once a fusillade of whips rang out, and the men started to ride round the cattle in Indian file. The wild ones were well mixed up with the tame, and hardly knew which way to turn. Carew, cantering round, caught glimpses of them rushing hither and thither. Small, wiry cattle for the most part, with big ears and sharp spear-pointed horns. Of these there were fifty or sixty, as near as Considine could judge, three or four bulls. A crowd of cows and calves and half-grown animals, and a few old bullocks that had left the station mobs and thrown in their lot with the wild ones. By degrees, as the horses went round them, the cattle began to ring, forming themselves into a compact mass, those on the outside running round and round. All the time the whips were going, and the shrill cries of the blacks rang out, "'Whoa back! Whoa back there! Whoa!' as an animal attempted to break from the mob. They were gradually forcing the beasts away from the scrub when suddenly, in spite of the gin's shrill cries, some of the leaders broke out and set off up the plain with a rush of a cavalry charge. The rest were after them, racing at full speed parallel with the edge of the scrub, and always trying to make it over towards it. Old Considine met this new development with Napoleonic quickness. He and the others formed a line parallel with the course of the cattle, and raced along between them and the timber, keeping up an incessant fusillade with their whips, while the old man's voice rang out loudly in directions to the blacks behind. Keep the coachers with em, flog em along, cut the hides off em. In the first rush the quiet cattle had dropped to the rear, but the blacks set about them with the whips, and as they were experienced coachers, and had been flogged and hustled along in similar rushes so often that they knew at once what was wanted, they settled down to race, just as fast as the wild ones. As the swaying, bellowing mass swept along in the moonlight, crashing and trampling through the light outlying timber, some of the coachers were seen working their way to the lead, and the wild cattle, having no settled plan, followed them blindly. Considine on his black horse was close up by the wing of the mob, and the others rode in line behind him, always keeping between the cattle and the scrub. "'Crack your whips!' he yelled. "'Crack your whips! Keep em off the scrub! Go on, Billy! Drive that horse along and get to the lead!' Like a flash, one of the black boys darted out of the line, galloped to the head of the cattle, and rode there. Pursued by the flying mob, the cracks of his heavy stock-whip sounding above the roar of the hoofs and bellowing of the cattle, Soon they steadied a little, and gradually sobered down till they stopped, and began to ring again. "'That was pretty pure, eh, mister?' roared Considine to Carew. "'Ain't it a caution the way the coachers race with them? That old, bold-faced coacher is worth two men and a boy in a dash like this.' Suddenly an old bull, the patriarch of the wild herd, made towards one of the gins, whose shrill yells and whip-cracking failed to turn him. 
Considine dashed to her assistance, swinging his whip around his head. "'Whoa back there! Whoa back, will you!' he shouted. The bull paused, irresolute for a second, and half turned back to the mob, but the sight or scent of his native scrub decided him. Dropping his head, he charged straight at Considine. So sudden was the attack that the stock-horse had barely time to spring aside, but, quick as it was, Considine's revolver was quicker. The bull passed. Bang went the revolver, and bang, 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 again, as the horse raced alongside, Considine leaning over and firing into the bull's ribs at very short range. The other cattle, dazed by the firing, did not attempt to follow, and at the fourth shot the bull wheeled to charge. He stood a moment in the moonlight, bold and defiant, then staggered a little, and looked round as though to say, "'What have you done to me?' Bang went the revolver again. The animal lurched, plunged forward, sank on his knees, and fell over on his side, dead. "'There you swab,' said the old man. "'That'll learn yet a break another time.' Then he took once more his place in the patrol round the mob. They circled and eddied and pushed, always staring angrily at the riders. Suddenly a big red bullock gave a snort of defiance, and came out straight towards Carew. He stopped once, shook his head ominously, and came on again. One of the gins dashed up with the whip, but the bullock had evidently decided to take all chances, and advanced on his foes at a trot. "'Chewed him, that feller!' screamed the gin to Carew. "'You chewed him! He'd been yan away! No more stop! Chewed him!' Carew lugged out his revolver and tried to pull his horse to a standstill, but the wary old veteran knew better than to be caught standing by a charging bullock. Just as Carew fired, he plunged forward, with the result that the bullet went over the mob altogether and very nearly winged Charlie, who was riding on the far side. Then the bullet charged in earnest, and Carew's horse, seeing that if he wished to save human life he must take matters into his own hands, made a bolt for it. Carew half-turned in the saddle and fired twice, only making the black boys on the far side cower down on their horses' necks. Then the horse took complete charge and made off for the scrub with the bullock after him and every animal in the mob after the bullock. Nothing in the world could have stopped them. Considine and Charlie raced in front alongside Carew, cracking their whips and shouting. The blacks flogged the coaches up with the wild cattle, but they held on their way, plunged with a mighty crash into the thick timber, and were lost. No horseman could ride a hundred yards in that timber at night. Coaches and all were gone together, and the dispirited hunters gathered at the edge of the scrub and looked at each other. "'Well, mister?' "'You couldn't stop him,' said the old man. "'I'm afraid I made, um, rather a mess of things, don't you know?' said the Englishman. "'I thought I hit him the second time, too. Seemed to be straight at him. "'I think you done very well to miss us. I heard one bullet whiz past me like a scorpion. "'Well, it can't be helped. Those old coaches will all battle their way home again before long. "'Gordon, I vote we go home. They're your cattle now, and you'll have to come out again after him some day, and do a little more shooting.' Get a suit of armour on you first, though. As they jogged home through the bright moonlight, they heard loud laughter from the blacks, and Carew, looking back, found the fat gin giving a dramatic rehearsal of his exploits. She dashed her horse along at a great pace, fell on his neck, clutched wildly at the reins, then suddenly turned in her saddle, and pretended to fire point-blank at the other blacks, who all dodged the bullets. Then she fell on the horse's neck again, and so on ad lib. This made the Englishman very morose. He was quite glad when Charlie said he had seen enough of the cattle, and they would all start next day for civilization. Charlie to resume the management of Mr. Grant's station, Carew to go with him as colonial experiencer, and Considine to start for England to look after his inheritance. End of chapter 18